And would you please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I have an insert with actually the whole chapter printed on there and some spaces for you to take notes in a short outline there. As we've been marching through the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen life under the sun. We've seen that life under the sun is vanity, all the work and the striving after the wind that goes on. And when I chose this uh, series to begin, um, I thought our world was experiencing kind of what the preacher in Ecclesiastes was seeing in his day. So much vanity, so much striving after the wind, so many things that don't seem to make sense are puzzling to us, the enigmas of life, and really it's, it's important for us to be realistic about how bad things are, what life is really like under the sun. But I use that phrase, as the author does, to signify that we're not talking about the whole picture. Remember that we get these shafts of light that come from above the sun, from the sun, into our existence. And the Word of God, in its fullness, gives the whole picture. We put eternity into play into this here and now world, and it transforms the way that we look at it. In chapter 11, the preacher is moving to some of his final illustrations in his sermon, and he's going to hit the big conclusion in the, in the next chapter. We've seen some, uh, we see a number of illustrations to bring home his point, and the point seems to come from the repetition of a phrase four times in these short ten verses, for you know not, you do not know, you do not know you don't know. So, we're going to focus today on the uncertainty of life. Follow along as I read Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is God's inspired and inerrant and authoritative Word. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes." But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come now to the word that you have given to us. And Lord, we confess that uh, sometimes there are confusing things. Sometimes there are difficult things to hear Uh, difficult things to process and then put into action. But Lord, we thank You that You have not left us alone, that You have granted us Your Holy Spirit as the divine interpreter of the Word, that You not only 
breathed this word out by His work in, uh, in holy men of, of old, Lord, but You have also uh, sent that Spirit to live in our hearts so that we might rightly understand Your Word and so that we might have the power to put into practice what we do here. Uh, Lord, guide us, we pray, into Your truth. And Lord, sanctify us by Your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Living purposefully in uncertainty. We live in a world, a modern age, I believe, that has so many technological and scientific advances. We have an illusion of control and certainty over so many things. But that illusion, that bubble gets busted every once in a while and we realize how out of control we really are. How many things are truly unpredictable, unknowable, and uncertain. And so, one of the reminders, I think day by day, of my desire and our desire collectively to want to have things under control is that smartphone that's in your pocket or in your hand. Uh, that thing is able to control everything about my life. It controls my calendar. It controls my communications. It controls my work schedule. It is, enables me to um, find out things, uh, to, to learn things. Um, it allows me to control other devices and, and other things. It's, it's amazing how much control is in the palm of your hand. And until you misplace that phone, or until it breaks, um, you're under the illusion that you have everything under control or have a lot of things under control. In the ancient world, they sought control by creating a pantheon of gods who they would pray to for different items that they wanted to see go their way, whether it was their crops or whether it was fertility in their home, whether it was uh, financial prosperity or winning at a, in war, um, they would go to those gods to try and seek control over the things that were in reality uncontrollable. But we have a revelation from God. We have the reality that things seem uncertain, unknowable, it's, they seem unpredictable and out of our control. But from over the sun, we see the perspective that God is in control of all. So, Let's walk through these verses and see how we can live purposefully in the midst of uncertainty. First, we're boldly to face the unpredictable. Boldly facing the unpredictable. Now, verses 1 and 2 set the stage, and, and it's like common everyday things like bread, um, then clouds and a, and a tree. But the meanings behind these illustrations are pretty pretty challenging to get our modern minds back into the, the mindset of the author. But I think we can learn from this. Um, the commentators are, are quite, quite a bit divided on what this is actually talking about. But just simply read, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. I, I hope that you don't, you know, find some bread and throw it out on the pond and then drive up three days later and say, oh, I found it. Wow, that sermon was really true. I don't think that it's to be understood that literally. So it is a figure of speech and an illustration of something. It's just, what is it? Is it primarily a, a lesson about economics? I think a case can be made for that. Um, you could be 
you could see um, this phrase, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, uh, being similar to the way that they talked about um, sending your goods, your harvest, out to other nations in order to sell and trade, and then to bring back in the portion or the profit from those goods. And it's an encouragement. Take a risk. Go do it. Because they would send their goods out on these seafaring vessels, but it was nothing but certain. It was nothing predictable about the storms that would come up and, and the, the hardships of seafaring. And so, there's a risk to be taken, but go do it. Take that risk so that you can earn a profit. We see that Solomon had lots of ships. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we read, the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come and bring gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. That's some interesting cargo there. Um, it could include your bread being sent off to other nations so that you can um, make a living, so you can earn income. But we see nothing is certain. The preacher here, the Koheleth, is saying, take a risk, go for it. Verse 2 then says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So this could be a suggestion of instead of sending your, your bread out all on one ship, divide it up between seven or eight. That way you spread out the risk. You don't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. And so that's another wise economic move that you should take, a, a safer approach. So if you diversify your assets, you may take la less risk. Um, we have to take risks with what's been entrusted to us. Uh, Jesus, if you remember in his parable of the talents from Matthew 25, gave different amounts to different um, servants. That last servant, though, didn't take risk, right? It says in Matthew 25, 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. This man was rebuked as wicked and lazy, worthless, and was punished because he dug a hole and put the money in it. He, he didn't make use of the means to create more wealth. He, he basically was not a good steward. And that's what, you know, the economics lesson here translated into the biblical principles that we all um, have to wrestle with is we're stewards of what God has given us. Are we going to take risks with what God's given us? And what, is, what are good risks to take and what are not? But the risks is not just to our money. We're to be stewards of our money, stewards of our time, uh, stewards, I think, of our health. I can't tell you, like, probably on a weekly or every other weekly basis, I'm interacting with people about how to make decisions with regard to some of these areas of stewardship. Um, there, there isn't a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt invest in X or Y. But the principles of stewardship are all over the Bible. So we should wisely steward what God gives us. Are you responsibly taking risks that you should? Are you being bold 
when you face the unpredictable. Now, this could be not just a lesson in economics or stewardship, it could be a lesson in generosity. Um, there's a saying that is uh, from ancient Egyptian um, that describes the giving of bread and casting it on the waters as a way of speaking of giving alms or giving gifts to the poor. And so this could be casting your bread on the waters represents giving gifts to the poor. It may seem like you're wasting it, that there, it's, it, you'll never get anything back for that. They're just poor. They won't be able to do anything good for you. But that investment in compassion will yield dividends. Give to the fullest you can could be verse 2. You know, that number of fullness in the Bible being the number seven. Give uh, a portion to seven or even eight. Um, the other principle beyond the fullness number is when uh, we're told this many things, yes, even one more. That's to the point of um, sacrificial giving, to being generous with what you have. And this is in line with Jesus when He illustrated this in a parable in Luke 11 with the parable of the great banquet. He said to the man who had invited Him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." So, give generously. Um, give without expecting in return. Uh, that could be what the lesson is here. The next two verses, though, help us to understand further this theme of unpredictability, uncertainty. Verse 3 says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Well, we know how that works. That, that seems to be almost a, a certainty, not an uncertainty. But have you tried to predict the weather lately? If you have a weather app and it tells you that there's only a 10% chance of rain, but you're sitting in a tree stand with rain coming down on your head, you're like, what good is this, right? We can tell that rain clouds will bring rain, but we don't know where, we don't know how much, and we quite often don't even know when. So it's unpredictable. How do you live in light of that? And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Seems pro pretty common sense, right? If a tree falls, that's where it's going to be. Well, who knows it's going to go to the north or to the, or to the south? There's seemingly random events in our lives, kind of like this tree falling that we just can't predict. Even when you attempt to cut down a tree and put a big old notch in it and try and do it the way that you're supposed to, it doesn't always fall the way that you had predicted it would fall. What do you do with the unpredictableness of life? Come to terms with not everything is going to be predicted. So take risks and be bold, trusting in the one who does know the future, even if you don't. There's more to his analysis in verse 4. He says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So this is the, this is the paralysis of overanalyzing things. So a sower would look for a calm day to sow the seed so that when he threw it out, it would spread evenly, he'd have an even crop and, and a better yield. But if it's windy and he throws it out and it's all over the place, it's not going to be as effective. So I got to wait for the perfect wind. 
And then when you go to reap the harvest, when you go to bring it in, you're looking at the clouds to see what if it rains? If this crop gets wet and I collect it up and then store it away, what's going to happen to this produce if it's wet when I store it? It's going to rot. Farmers today have to consider the moisture content in their, in their crops as they bring it in. But if you wait forever for the perfect conditions, you'll do nothing. I remember back in 2002 trying to buy a minivan. Now, our family was expanding and I needed to have a reliable transportation, wanted it to be safe, wanted it to be uh, good value. So I had all these uh, things that I was looking for and I had all these websites that I went to and I tried, we went and test drove uh, every minivan known to man, even got them overnight and, and worked and, and I'm sitting down with Janie and I'm talking to friends and I probably spent weeks trying to make this decision. And I was just paralyzed. But I want to make the perfect decision. Sometimes we just got to take a risk. We got to be bold. Uh, what areas in your life do you have to take a risk right now and make the call, make a decision? Maybe some young people right now are considering, what am I going to do with my life? What kind of education should I pursue? Or what career should I go after? Or what military service or mission service or whatever options are out there. Each one's have different risks. Be bold. Step out and take those risks. Don't be paralyzed. Don't be stuck. Many of you are facing big decisions like selecting a surgeon or small decisions like what food to eat or what food to try. If we're making big decisions or little decisions, step out and make them. Every choice in life seems to have risk attached to it. One preacher had a, a statement that, that stuck in my head, and I think it's, it, it would be helpful to you. Um, he said, know the difference between a right and wrong decision and a right and left decision. Okay? Right and wrong decisions, we need to go to God's Word because God has spoken on what is right and what is wrong. And so when a moral decision comes up, be informed by God's Word and make that decision based on His Word. If you have a right or left decision, something that... God hasn't revealed in his word, you have to do this or you can't do this, then make a choice. I mean, pray about it, consider it, but make a choice without being burdened with what's, what's God's will. You know, we know what God's will is. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says, the things, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and to our children. He's revealed in his word what we need to know for life and godliness. Stick with that for the right or wrong decisions. For the right or left decisions, pray about it and take risks. Be bold. Next, I want us to consider wisely accepting the unknowable. You cannot know. You do not know. Look at verse 5. It's repeated twice in this one verse. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I mean, the amazing science and technology in the medical world, the ability to, to see what's going on in the womb, even with like 3D sonograms, it's impressive. It's amazing. We can know a whole lot about what's going on in the womb, but we still can't know the way that the spirit comes to the bones in the woman of the woman with child. 
that that's a mystery to us. It will always be a mystery to us. You have to accept the things that are unknowable to you. Verse 6 and 7, in the morning sow your seed, even in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will be alike good. Light is sweet and pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. Make your choices. Take action. Work, but work wisely, knowing that there's some things you're just not going to know. And there are some things in life that keep us humble because God says, my ways are higher than your ways. Remember what he says in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You think you can know the unknowable? You think you can know the mind of God on every issue? We want to know why. We want to know how God is going to do something. But to keep us humble, He tells us there are just some things you're not going to know. God never promises us that we'll understand everything. We won't understand His ways, His reasons, but He does promise to give us a peace that surpasses understanding. Remember in Philippians 4, where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. We need the peace of mind that comes not of understanding, but that surpasses understanding. Come to grips with things that you will never know and find the peace in what he does tell us is true. Finally, enjoy life that's uncontrollable. We're given some commands here. We're given a, a series of commands of how to respond in this life that's unpredictable, uncontrollable. Verse 9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. We stress over so many things that are out of our control. The preacher tells us, he commands us, rejoice, enjoy life. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And it follows the theme that we've been seeing throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the here and now, the, the, the life under the sun, the good things embrace them. Um, the times of joy, enjoy them. Uh, savor those things and rejoice in those. Don't get bogged down in the anxieties of life. And then walk. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. Now, this isn't just saying follow your heart in the Disney sense. It's follow the heart that God gives you that is after Him, the, the heart that uh, loves Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves your neighbor as yourself. That's the kind of walk. And it just means take action. Don't just think, but take action. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So while at the same time he's saying, enjoy life, enjoy the things of this life as gifts that God gives, do keep eternity in view that there is a judgment and you have to honor God with your life so that when you stand before him, you can say, I stewarded what you gave me, and I did what 
I felt was wise, and know that that judgment is yet to come. Verse 10, I think, helps us with this idea of anxiety. He says, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for your youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Um, put aside this churning over things, this, this vexation, is this, this anxiety that we face when things aren't certain. I think a helpful illustration that I've been taught over the years and that I passed on is understanding uh, what is our circle of concern and then within that, what is our circle of responsibility? So we function in a world where a lot of things affect us, a lot of things are done to us, a lot of things go on around us, and they concern us because they affect us. But God gives us an inner circle that is the things that we're responsible for, the things that we can do and are commanded to, um, the things that He's called us in our various roles to do are for us and for our concern. But those areas that we are not given the ability to control, we have to cast those cares onto the Lord. Those we have to give over to Him. When we try to expand our responsibilities into the things that He hasn't given us control over, when we try to seize control over things that are uncontrollable, that's where the vexation happens. That's where this anxiety starts to churn. And we need to put it aside by rolling our burdens on the Lord, casting your cares on Him because He cares for you. There's things you can't control. There's things that are unpredictable. There are things that just are beyond you, and it's rightfully so. You can't know the future. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow belongs to His area. It's not yours. Shrink it down, and the vexation will be removed. We can enjoy life, we can live it to the fullest, but we have to remember that we'll also face the judge of all things. So be careful how you enjoy your life. One commentator said, said it this way, life must be lived with eternity's values in view. Your one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ and with eyes fixed on Christ will last. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. And again, he says in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. The full story, when you get the over-the-sun perspective, is that you can work, you can act, you can live responsibly, even when things are unpredictable. The conclusion then is boldly face the unpredictable, wisely accept the unknowable, and enjoy life that is uncontrollable. Seems simple, seems straightforward, but it's hard to put into practice. Can I encourage you with one thought? In light of something, so many things that are uncertain, unpredictable, unknowable, uncontrollable, Think on those things that are certain, certain and true. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Be certain that you're a sinner, but be certain that Jesus Christ came for sinners 
And when we rest in Him, when we trust in Him, He rescues us, and that is certain. He rescues us and holds us, and never will we be lost. In Romans 8, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, our desire is to live purposefully in life. That purpose is to glorify You, to enjoy You forever. Yet, Lord, we are sometimes confused and befuddled by things we can't figure out, things that we can't predict and can't know and can't understand. Lord, we wrestle with that in our flesh. We, we confess that to You. But, Lord, we seek You for a peace that surpasses understanding. Make us boldly confident in the certain truths that come down to our sinners. We are sinners, but You are a Savior who loves to show grace and mercy. Lord, may we rest in You. May we find our confidence in You. May we find the certainty that You have for us in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.